here. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's episode one three. I won't say the name. I'm I'm still superstitious. I won't. You know, I don't know. I'm one of those people who doesn't like saying that it's quiet outside, and I definitely don't like saying certain unlucky things. So whatever. So let's just say we're at an episode. Um, but welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Virginia Law for Law Enforcement Officers, and this is a podcast meant for those of you out there who are trying every day to do it right, to strive to do better, to find new ways to strengthen and serve your communities. Uh, for a long time, people have said, hey, look, I want to learn the law. I want to get better. I want to understand the law better. How do I do that? Um, this is that podcast uh, to try to do that, to try to share that information, keep giving you new knowledge. And we, I've uh, been asking you guys, what do you want to hear? What do you want to learn? What do you want to expand on? And a great suggestion that we got from a listener was, hey, can you talk some more about electronic evidence? So uh, I'm going to take the next few episodes and talk about electronic evidence, talk about how do you get evidence from devices, how do you get evidence from uh, providers, and I'm going to sort of review the law on that. And like we did with the use of force law, because this is something that's in flux and it's very controversial, I'm also going to stop and sort of talk about what might be coming or what's next or what's changing in law and so on. Because this is a an area of law that changes all the time uh, around the world, and those changes affect us now in the United States, in Virginia, in ways that I think you might not expect. So uh, we're going to talk about that, and then we're also going to talk about the slow way in which Virginia law is changing, uh, but it potentially could change, and also how federal law can change as well. Uh, so this is hopefully going to be a useful series for you as we go through it. Again, if you've got, hey, you know, can you talk more about this or that, or you know, if you have a question, uh, let me know in the comments. Uh, we are available now on iTunes and on Stitcher Podcast, so hopefully that's a good, good way, in addition to on, being on SoundCloud. If you've got an app that you like, let me know about the app uh, that you say, hey, look, you know, use, you know, I, I think I heard people using Spotify Podcasts, maybe we try that out, or Google Podcasts. So what are we going to talk about when we talk about electronic evidence? Uh, you know, it used to, when I started teaching electronic evidence about, let's see, it's probably been about 16 years ago now, uh, the class involved us bringing an actual, you know, a big computer, a tower into class, and we took the computer apart, and we showed all the parts, and we talked about what all the parts did, and so on. And the people who attended the class were mostly people who did child exploitation cases, because those were the cases that most of the time involved computers, actual physical computers. Nowadays, everything's a computer. Nowadays, you know, I looked on Best Buy yesterday at washer dryers, and the top three washers were all smart home connected washer dryers, right? The washer has a computer in it that's more powerful probably than the computer I was using for work in the 1990s. Um, and so as we talk about in getting information from devices, it's going to be important for us to understand we're really talking about everything from Roombas to Amazon Echoes to smartwatches to smart cars and so on. And how do we interrogate those devices if we have evidence that we're trying to get from that? So, you know, you show up to a murder crime scene and you've got a dead body, no idea how the person was killed, uh, but you know it was violently. And, you know, so you want to figure out, you know, what was going on and you're investigating and so on. How do you, as you come across evidence that might be stored electronically, uh, examine that evidence, interrogate that evidence to find out what happened in the murder case? 
So in the next few episodes, what I'm going to be doing is talking about getting information from providers, from companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter and Amazon and so on. And then I'm also going to be talking about in uh, getting information from devices themselves, right, from physical items like a phone uh, or a car uh, that stores digital evidence. And what I want to do today then, as we go through, uh, as we sort of set the, set the ground rules, is today I'm going to talk about some really basic concepts. And it's going to be important that we agree on and sort of understand and explore these basic concepts today so that when I talk in the future episodes about different things, I'm going to use some terminology that, uh, that, that we're going to agree on in this episode, hopefully, and, and sort of be able to uh, rely upon. So some of what you're going to hear today is going to be a review of what you already know, but it's going to be uh, useful for us in the future episodes. And some of the stuff today I think is going to be, you know, still hopefully useful for you uh, and, and as we go on. So what we're going to do is we're going to introduce today sort of three basic concepts. And we're going to talk about uh, data at rest versus data in motion. We're going to talk about privacy versus the third-party doctrine. And we're going to talk about content versus non-content. And those three basic divides, those three basic concepts are going to be crucial for everything else that we do. And then from there, uh, again, we're going to turn about talk about getting data in motion and getting data and how to use data in motion and then how to get data at rest and so on. So let's talk about sort of these three divides, these three concepts, these three uh, divides between data and rest, data in motion, um, privacy versus third-party data, and content versus non-content. I'm going to start with this idea of data at rest and data in motion, because it's sort of the first divide in the law that sets up sort of two different standards and two different ways that you might get data. Data at rest, we're talking about data that's sitting in a physical device that you have encountered and maybe sees out in the world, a phone, a car, a computer, if somebody's still using a computer. Um, the device itself, by seizing the device itself, getting a hold of the device itself, you now have control of the data. You may not have access to it because it might be encrypted. It might have a password on it. You might not have to know how to turn it on or how to get into it, but you've at least seized the physical device. I've taken the GPS off the car. That GPS device, if people still use that nowadays, um, it has a memory in it. And so I'm going to, you know, the memory of where that GPS device was asked to go and the addresses and so on, I physically have that device. So I physically have that data. Data at rest is almost always going to be analyzed then by a forensic examiner, somebody who is trained to pull data for an investigation and ultimately for court purposes. Somebody who's trained to do to pull data in a way that they can replicate and examine and explain at court uh, in front of a jury or in front of a judge and say, hey, I analyzed this device, I used a reliable method, I used um, reliable software. I used, you know, X-ways or N-case or something like that, uh, and uh, and and I pulled the data out of this, and this is what I got. So when we're talking about data at rest. You should then almost always be getting the data using a search warrant, and the challenges in getting data at rest, getting data from devices, usually come down to challenges of encryption and passwords and so on. Um, and that's the first challenge getting in. And we'll talk about that when we come forward. And then the second challenge that I think most often comes up with getting data, getting information from data at rest, is getting a search warrant that is actually useful to accomplish the mission you're trying to accomplish. 
And what we've seen a lot of in the last few years is courts and magistrates who are reluctant to issue warrants that are useful for accomplishing those missions because they're concerned that you are looking too far into the device or for too many files that are unrelated to what they think your mission ought to be, right? So for example, uh, let's say you're investigating a robbery, a robbery case in which you know somebody's been robbed at five o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday after Saturday uh, it, it, Saturday evening, and the person who did the robbery is identified on a video camera from a nearby business. You track that person down to their residence. You execute a search warrant. You're obviously looking for the gun they used in the robbery. You're looking for the stolen property in the robbery, and you want to get their phone, and so you get their phone. Assuming you can get into the phone, right? The first problem is obviously the encryption on the phone. The second problem is going to be, uh, how do I get a search warrant to get the useful information off the phone? And you're going to maybe run into a problem here because the magistrate might say, well, I can give you information. I let you look at the data from the phone from, you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon and maybe 12 hours before, 12 hours after, but I'm not going to let you look at everything on the phone, right? So we're going to talk about it in a future episode. How do you deal with that? But that's, those are the most two common problems regarding data at rest. The second, then we have data at rest, then we have data in motion, right? That's the other type of data. Data in motion is data stored by third parties, and that might be a phone company, it might be a cell phone company, uh, it might be Facebook or Google or Twitter or TikTok, uh, and they are storing that data in what we call the cloud. Obviously, there's no real cloud, right? I mean, the, the data is actually physically stored in a device somewhere, right? There's a server somewhere. If it's Amazon, the data might be in Virginia, actually, uh, although we'll talk about some challenges with that. Um, but, you know, the data is physically sitting in a computer somewhere. It's just a computer somewhere else, and you have no idea where it is, and probably the data provider doesn't know where it is either. Um, we're going to hear about the U.S. versus Microsoft case, and ultimately, Microsoft was never really able to say, we know where this physical data is. We just know it's stored in our system somewhere, and we can provide it to you. So you're not going to be interrogating the device. You're not going to be analyzing the device. You're going to be asking that provider to give you that data. And so you're going to be examining that data, but not in a forensic way. You're going to be examining it like it's a record, like it's a financial record turned over by a financial services company. They're going to produce it. They're going to be doing the searching. They're going to turn it over to you in some format. And then when you get it, you'll be analyzing it. Again, here, you're going to need some kind of statutory legal process. But what legal process you need is going to be a little different because, again, you're reaching out to a company that's probably not even located in Virginia. And so a lot of what we'll talk about is how do you get the legal process? That's the major problem. I think the major challenge that most people have when they're trying to get data from some third party, Google, Facebook, AT&T, Verizon, TikTok, whatever, uh, I want to get data from that provider. So how do I get the legal process? And then how do I get it to that provider? And then how do I get that provider to turn that information over to me? So that's the first divide between data at rest and data in motion. The second major divide that you have in this area of law, electronic evidence, is between privacy and the third-party doctrine. And if you think about it again, privacy itself is a concept that we protect in the United States under the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. So you think back to that phone, right? That physical object, that physical device. I have my phone. I expect, I have an expectation that the information in my phone is private. And the Fourth Amendment in general has recognized that the information that we have, that we store on our phones is private. The same way that when the founders wrote the Fourth Amendment, they imagined that the home had all of our private stuff. Because the home had our family history, it had our financial information, it had 
our personal correspondence. It had our letters and our diaries and so on. Nowadays, that stuff isn't really in our homes. It's in our phones. Would you rather have somebody rifle through your bedroom or would you rather have somebody rifle through your phone, right? Which one would potentially be more embarrassing? Which one would potentially involve more personal information? I think we're moving to a world where the phone is more private. So the Constitution protects that phone. And it also, in the eyes of the court, as we're going to see, protects other things that are private as well, including our movements and our personal lives. And so we'll see that the Constitution, to some degree, protects our location information from the police uh, if it's tracked by a GPS or if it's tracked using cell tower location data. And those protections we'll talk about in, in, um, in a, probably in a future episode. So the Fourth Amendment protects certain spaces and certain information, and when it does protect that information, then because of the way the Fourth Amendment is written, a search warrant is required. But of course, when we talk about the idea that what's in my phone is private, what my browser history is private, my email is private, my, uh, the data in my device is private, we have perhaps a subjective expectation that it's private. But we all kind of know deep down inside that probably a hundred times in the last year, we have clicked on something that we never read uh, that said the information in our phones is not private. The information in our computers is not private. The information in our cars is not private. The information that we say to Alexa is not private. All of this information is given to us essentially at the low, low price of often nothing because it's valuable information that's being collected, analyzed, cut up and sold constantly throughout the world by lots of companies who really don't care about our privacy at all uh, because our privacy is simply something that is a you know an obstacle to them accomplishing their tasks uh, when you surf the internet you see ads pop up on your screen where do those ads come from why are the ads different on your screen than they are on my screen why are your ads different depending on what browser you're using because the internet is constantly, and your device is constantly tracking everywhere you go, and then developing a profile of the kind of person you are. You're the kind of person who uh, reads this newspaper online, and goes to this website, and has shopped for this airline, and has been shopping for these products. And with all that information in mind, you appeal to the following types of advertisers. And when you click on a website, literally in the space that it takes for that site to load, tens or hundreds or thousands of ad advertisers are bidding to put their bid, their ad in front of you based on your profile that shows up uh, that's being sold, right? So that information is by no means private and it's owned by somebody, somebody's collecting that data. The Supreme Court, and this is, this is certainly new in the, in the internet world, but it's not new in the financial services world, right? This information has been around, this kind of information has been bought and sold constantly for decades in the financial services world, right? What I use my credit card for, where I shop, and so on, is really valuable information to certain retailers. They want to know how to build a profile. Target wants to know, uh, where should I put my store? Should I put it near uh, the Barnes & Noble, or should I put it near the... Um, uh, you know, near the CVS. Well, according to our data, people who go to Barnes & Noble are more likely to spend money at Target than people who go to CVS. So I want to build my Target near the Barnes & Noble. The Supreme Court of the United States dealt with this issue in the 1970s in a case where they were addressing, you know, the information in my bank account, is that really private information? 
And if it is truly private information, like I described, then the Fourth Amendment, and I have true expectation of privacy, true Fourth Amendment expectation of privacy in it, then the Fourth Amendment ought to protect it with the requirement of a search warrant. But if it's not private information, then there isn't a Fourth Amendment search warrant requirement for that information. Uh, and in fact, then the, it's up to the General Assembly, it's up to the legislature, it's up to the U.S. Congress to come up with regulations to regulate the privacy. And what they decided in the 1970s was, you know, look at the financial records that you have. It's constantly being analyzed and bought and sold and read and disclosed, you know, and all kind of stuff. There's no reasonable expectation that you have that you, you, that this information is private. Look at how much it's shared. No, this information is not private. This is owned by a third party, and the third party is free to do with it what they want. We are not going to step in. That's for the legislature. That's for the General Assembly to step in and do. And in fact, ultimately, that's what happens, and we'll talk about that again in a future episode as we go through, um, is how it is that the Virginia General Assembly and the U.S. Congress and other legislative bodies have stepped in to create privacy protections where the Constitution doesn't provide one. Uh, I have, it's not reasonable for me to expect that my Facebook data is private because obviously, right, there's, you know, Facebook is constantly buying and selling and keeping a database of information. So because of that, Congress and the General Assembly have statutory uh, protections put in place that protect this information that we have to comply with. Before I talk about the next uh, divide in this information, I do want to take a minute and step back and, and uh, as I always do, and talk to you guys about Copline. Uh, I think I've said before, you know, uh, the internet is a great thing and it's also a terrible thing. And one of the terrible things about the internet is it's a it's a amplification. It's a heightened, not reality, but it's a heightened place where the drunkest guy at the bar who usually is really loud but, you know, has, he can't be heard across the bar, suddenly the drunkest guy at the bar gets a voice. And every bar and every drunkest guy at every bar gets a really loud voice. And suddenly, all of a sudden, all we have is a collection of the drunkest, most loud, most uh, strident, crazy people uh, out on the Internet. And it sounds like that's what the world is like. But that's not what the world is really like. There's still, you know, 199 other people out there who are not loud and screaming. And those people, their voices are not, generally speaking, heard because they don't post on the Internet. They don't write on write comments on uh, news stories or news sites. They don't go on Reddit and so on. They just live their lives. Um, but the strain and, you know, nowadays, I think of just if you go on the Internet and read comment sections, don't do that. Uh, just don't. Just stop doing it because you're not listening to what society is saying. You're listening to what a bunch of you know, crazy people say. But even if you don't do that, this job is inherently one of the most stressful jobs in the United States. Um, if you're a first-line supervisor, it's one of the top 10 most stressful jobs in the United States. I think it's probably one of the top five, at least usually is. Um, and that stress can get to us. We are just now really understanding the, tr the science behind the way that the trauma and the vicarious trauma can affect law enforcement officers. And if we're not able to recognize it in, on ourselves and the effects of trauma on ourselves and the effect of the stress on ourselves, then what hope do we have to protect other people and to check others, right? To protect our, our fellow officers. You would show up and back up your fellow officer if they were on a traffic stop at two in the morning. Uh, but do you do that if you see the signs of stress and trauma on them? Um, Blue Help is a great organization. They train, they talk about uh, mental health, they provide mental health, mental health tra training and treatment for officers. Uh, Copline is a great resource as well for officers, and it is a 
uh, a phone call. It is a phone call away, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a, a manned entirely by retired law enforcement officers who are there as a trained voice to listen to you, talk to you about the stress. Um, we're losing far too many officers uh, to uh, to stress and to pain, pain sometimes that we don't recognize that they're having. Um, but if you are somebody who is suffering, who feels like there's no, there's nothing else uh, to do, there's no point in going on, the world will be better without you, I'm, I'm here to tell you that's wrong. Uh, the world still needs you. You are still doing uh, good things for people. Uh, we still do want you around. And, uh, you know, give them a call. They're at 1-800-COP-LINE. It's 1-800-267-5463. That's 1-800-267-5463. Or check out uh, www.copline.org. So we talked about uh, two divides. We talked about the divide between um, data arrest and data in motion. We've talked about the divide between Fourth Amendment privacy and third-party doctrine. And then the last divide that I want to talk about here before we get to sort of into the nitty-gritty of law is the divide between content and non-content. That is to say, if you're going after certain kinds of data, and this is, and when we talk about this, we're talking about this, getting this from providers. This is less of an issue with device search warrants, although we'll see it does play some role. But mostly, this is a divide, this is a distinction that comes up if I'm requesting information from AT&T, Verizon, Facebook, Google, um, you know, TikTok, uh, Omegle, some kind of online website. Am I looking for content of a communication or am I looking for non-content information? And I want to talk about why this is so important because it really is crucial. So non-content information, we're talking about things like the name of the uh, subscriber, the person's address, their phone number, their payment information, what IP addresses did they use, the type of communication that they, made, they engaged in, the length of the communication, the other party in the communication. Um, when did they log in? When did they log on? When did the phone call start? When did the phone call end? When they logged in, what was their IP address? Um, if they were communicating with a site, what was the site that they were communicating with? Those kinds of questions, those kinds of information. That information, typically speaking, and again, this is because we're creating, this is a distinction that the law creates. The Fourth Amendment in general doesn't create this distinction. Um, this is something that the statutes have come up with, the Congress has come up with, Virginia General, General Assembly has come up with. So because they're creating this distinction, the law then says what you have to produce, what kind of legal process you have to obtain, is going to be different based on the level of information I'm seeking. So if I'm only seeking something like that, then a lot of times the law only says you have to go to court and get a court order signed by a judge, in Virginia a circuit court judge, uh, and in uh, generally speaking a court of general jurisdiction, a, a, a um, certain kind of judge, has to sign this order, and they do so on a certain standard of evidence. Uh, right now that standard of evidence is generally that the information uh, is reasonably related to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry, and we have to be provided by some kind of affidavit or some kind of information like that is in general. But the, the, um, the amount of legal process that you need will increase, will double essentially, when you are requesting the content of what somebody actually communicated. When you actually want to know what their thoughts or their speech or their communication was, then at that point, you're going to need to have a search warrant supported by probable cause. Why? Not because the Fourth Amendment says it, but because the law says it, but because some, the, the General Assembly or the U.S. Congress has set this legal standard and has said, 
We're creating a legal standard by which if you want to know what somebody actually wrote in a message, they wrote in an email, they wrote in a text message, they posted on their Facebook, they said back and forth in an exchange on Twitter, they um, you know, made uh, this content part of their Google profile or part of uh, this was a communication, this is a voicemail left on their Google voice, that kind of thing. If you want that kind of information, then you need a search warrant. So we're talking about three big divides, right, in the law. We're talking about the divide between data at rest and data in motion. We're talking about Fourth Amendment privacy versus third-party doctrine. And then we're talking about content versus non-content. Those are the sort of the three big divides in the law. There is, of course, one more big divide in the law that isn't part of what I just talked about, but you're going to see this is going to keep coming up. And this is, again, just like the, um, just like the, the use of force debate. And this is the difference between Virginia law and federal law. Now, you don't, generally speaking, need to know most federal law as a law enforcement officer in Virginia. But if you're going to engage in investigations of electronic evidence, then you do need to know federal law. Not for devices, because devices, subject devices at rest, you're just going to be getting basically a regular old search warrant. You're going to be bringing it to your forensic unit, and they're going to be doing the search warrant. They're going to be doing the searching. But you do need to know something about federal law if you're going to be getting search warrants, court orders, and so on for, uh, for providers, for Verizon or Facebook or Google or AT&T or Omegle or TikTok or, t or Twitter or whatever the search warrant, whatever the target of the search warrant is. And the reason is because, like I said, in the 1970s, the U.S. Supreme Court said, you know, we're not going to step in and tell third-party providers how they, can, how they should handle their records. They're going to buy and sell those records to other companies. They're going to buy and sell your information to other companies. And if they choose to share it with law enforcement, well, that's up to them. The U.S. Congress, before they got to telecommunications information, the first thing they did was set up a regime that provided some kind of protection for privacy of bank records and financial records, and they came up with the Bank Secrecy Act. Now, in a future podcast, I will talk about getting financial records and how do you get financial records. I think that's a really interesting issue. Um, we're going to talk about financial records under federal law and financial records under state law. Um, for law enforcement officers, that's something that I think that is a, is a challenge for you guys as well, and so we do want to talk about that in a future episode. But notice again that that is a statutory set of requirements because, again, the courts haven't mostly stepped in to protect that kind of data when it's held by a third party. If you find financial records in a house or you want to get financial records from a house, you still got to get a search warrant. But how do I get it from a, from a company? Well, then you have the Bank Secrecy Act and you have the Anunzo, um, Anunzo Wiley uh, Money Laundering Act and you have the Patriot Act and all these other statutes that they put in place to regulate financial records, they did the same thing for um, regulating uh, electronic evidence records, uh, evidence like Facebook and Google and so on. Of course, when they came up with these records in the 1980s, uh, these rules in the 1980s, there wasn't, there was an internet, but most people didn't use it, and the members of Congress definitely weren't using it. Um, when they were coming up with these statutes, People were still, you know, excited about this new, you know, Wang computer system and the idea that, you know, or IBM PC was just being developed. And, you know, uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs are still working on their first computers and so on. Um, there wasn't an understanding of what we have today. So we have statutory, we have Congress, and we have General Assembly. 
before we go, though, before we wrap up, I want to also put this bug in your ear that you should start thinking about what are the laws of other countries when it comes to this information? Because as we're going to see when we come forward, it's easy to get focused on, well, I just care about Virginia law. I mean, this podcast is called Virginia Law for Law Enforcement Officers. But you're going to see as we come fo- as we go forward, a lot of these companies, right, TikTok is based out of Hong Kong, or at least it was until China sort of started cracking down on Hong Kong. We'll see what happens with TikTok. But, uh, you know, TikTok is based out of Hong Kong. Um, Kick Messenger, if you remember Kick Messenger from many years ago, that was a Canadian company. A lot of these companies are based overseas. And if you're going to want to get this information, you have to get it from an overseas internet provider. This is happening more and more. In addition, Europe has regulations that say that if you're going to comply, if you operate in our nation, if you operate in the European Union and you're going to comply with legal process that is in the United States, U.S. legal process, Virginia legal process, you got to make sure that you're producing the information to the Virginia police officer, to the city of Springfield police officer, in a way that's compliant with European law. And this kind of regulation is existent in Europe, and it's starting to show up in other places. And you're going to start to see this throughout the world. So as we go forward in this podcast, I'll point out some interesting, interesting issues that have come up with this. But, as, but of course, the law is always going to be changing. And if we're talking about an internet provider or a new app, and there's new apps every month, the first question you want to ask yourself is, where does this app come from? Who's making this app? Is this a U.S.-based company or is this a foreign company? And if it's a foreign company, how in the world am I going to get their records? Uh, and are they going to refuse to produce them because the member state that they're in, your EU member state, or if they're in Turkey or if they're in Hong Kong or whatever, won't allow me to produce records to law enforcement in that way? So a lot to think about. We haven't talked about really any statutes or law in this episode, but I hopefully have given you guys some foundation. And then we're going to talk in future episodes using all these terms that we talked about today about the nitty gritty of actually getting this information. So uh, that's all I got for today. Uh, hopefully it was an interesting podcast. Uh, hopefully it got you thinking and got you excited about where we're coming from. I uh, hope it was useful. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. But that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.